So first, let me just welcome you guys uh, to Church at Five. This is the English service of Calvary Chapel Freiburg. And um, uh, if you are here for the first time, I'm Brandon, one of the leaders here of the service. And uh, the last few weeks, I've been kind of starting, starting out by giving a little bit about our values and kind of what our aim is as a, as a church and as a community and especially as this service. And we, as a service, as Church at Five, we have a few core values. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at one of them, which is safe. And what that means is being, feeling safe and feeling at home when you're here, that we want people to be able to be comfortable. And we want, in the sense that they are feeling, they feel welcomed, that they feel um, that they can be themselves here. And which leads to another one of our core values, which is actually uncomfortable. And what that means is that we want to be not afraid to grow. And growth sometimes is uncomfortable. It's sometimes it's even painful for us. Uh, but spiritual growth is essential for us as believers. It's essential for us in our walk with God. And, um, it's essential for us, even as human beings, we need to be growing and changing. And so we want to be not afraid to be uncomfortable as a community, and which leads to what I want to talk to you guys about today, which is another one of our core values, which is being authentic. And all of these core values kind of tie in with one another. None of them really can stand on their own. And uh, authentic ties, I think, is what ties them in the best that if we want to be safe, if we want to be not afraid to be uncomfortable, we need to be real with each other. We need to be authentic. We need to be able to be transparent. Uh, obviously, that doesn't mean we need to tell everybody all of our problems all the time or anything like that. But it does mean that when we are struggling, that this would be a place that we can be real with one another and, and confide in one another, that we can be... Uh, open about the things we're struggling with and, and also open with helping each other deal with their struggle. So that's what being authentic is about. And these are just a few of our core values, the center points of our, our values here. And uh, it's important to state those and to know them so that we can be living them out, that we don't, it's not just uh, something we want to put on paper or something we want to just talk about, but something that we're seeking to live out as church at five, to be safe, to be uncomfortable and growing, and also to be real with one another, to be authentic. So that's a little bit about this service. Uh, What we've been going through is the book of Galatians or the letter of Galatians. Paul wrote this letter to, um, to the people of Galatia because they had some false teachers that had come in and were leading them down a false road. They were preaching a lie. And they started with a truth. So they started with what Paul had been preaching and were kind of speaking on behalf of Paul, which is something we're going to be looking at a little bit today. But they were adding to the doctrine of the gospel. They were adding to it and saying that Jesus wasn't enough, that Jesus wasn't, what he did on the cross wasn't enough to save us, that we aren't truly believers just by believing in Jesus just by seeing him as our savior, but we also have to maintain that. We also have to work and earn our salvation uh, in our lives. And that, of course, diminishes what Jesus did on the cross because what he did on the cross was enough. And so Paul wrote this letter 
in love, even though, and today we'll see a few examples of this, and we've seen a few examples already, that Paul sometimes writes a bit harsh. He really expresses his passion and his frustrations with the people of Galatia, but he's doing it in love because he cares about them, and he wants to see them get back on track. And uh, being that getting off track, falling back on our old ways, or maybe veering off from the truth is something that's not only the Galatians weren't the only ones that dealt with that. It's something that we definitely still see today. We can read this letter and hopefully be reminded of some things that uh, we can apply to our own lives today. Now, last week, we looked at how God is true to his word, that what God says is true no matter what. And his promises are He's always faithful to his promises. When he gives us a promise, when he puts something in our hearts and in our lives, he's always true to that. And that's true of individual promises that he gives us in our lives, as well as the promise and the, the receiving of salvation in our lives. So when God adopts us into his family, it's something that he will see to completion. He is working in our hearts and working in our lives, and we can trust him with that. And we looked at how Abraham tried to do things on his own. So he got a promise from God, but he veered and kind of went his own way, did his own thing, and how even though Abraham kind of messed up what God's promise was, God was faithful anyway. And that's good news for us because not, I don't know, maybe not all of you, some of us here aren't perfect and are going to mess up and are going to make mistakes. And it's good news that God's still going to be faithful to his word. He's still going to be faithful to his promises that he gave us. And uh, even when we mess things up. So before we get into our text today, which is going to be Galatians chapter 5, let's just take a minute and pray and give this time over to God. Father, we thank you as always for your word. That's so nourishing to our souls, so refreshing to our spirits. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts today to hear from you and to receive your truths, that we can apply them to our lives. And I ask that you open my heart, that I would be true to your word and that your words would be on my lips. In your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. And I just want to say that I'm excited. I'm really excited about chapter 5. It's, uh, to me, it's kind of the apex. It's like the, the mountain peak, if you will, of uh, the, the entire letter of Galatians. And when I first uh, kind of knew that Galatians was, was the topic or the series we're going to be going through, I just, I've been looking forward to getting to chapter 5 the whole time. It's uh, one of the kind of most... Um, passionate uh, chapters, and even though we have looked at some other chapters that were quite passionate as well, uh, chapter 5 is where Paul's passion really starts to overflow and starts to radiate, and not just in a good way, but also his frustrations. He's really kind of, it's his last hurrah, if anybody knows what that means. It's kind of his last uh, attempt to push this truth back into their hearts, to get them back on track, to kind of really hammer it in, if you will, that they, uh, that they would understand the importance of the gospel, the importance of the truth of the gospel, 
and what it looks like to live it out. So we'll be looking at, yeah, we'll start in verse 1. And the topic of this is the same as it's been all through the, the whole letter. His point is always to get the people back on track, and he's always kind of repeating his message. But again, here we see him kind of emphasizing his passion, emphasizing his frustrations. And the truth is that this truth that he's kind of repeating himself and going over again and again, and we're going to look at again today, is uh, that we're saved and we're justified, that we're made righteous before God, the righteousness of God in Christ, only because of the cross, only because Jesus Christ died and rose again for our sins, and that our sins are covered by what Jesus did on the cross and that alone, and, um, and that there's no other way to be right before God. And we talked about uh, in December that, you know, we're, we're here and God's up there and there's this huge gap and he's the only way to fill that gap. Jesus is the only way. And John fourteen six, Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Really clearly, he is the only way. And anything else is just going to lead us in a false direction. Anything else that we do is going to lead us in pride because it's going to be centered in sin. Whether we're trying to earn our way or just living for ourselves, it's going to be rooted in sin. As we looked at a few weeks ago, the wages of sin is death. As, and... Uh, Paul breaks down kind of three ways that we can take in our lives when we're living. And this is, I think, applies to all people. And the first way is the way of the law. We've looked a lot at this. And all through chapter 5, he's going to go through these three different ways that we can kind of live out our lives. And uh, so we're going to actually take three weeks to go through chapter 5 to examine this kind of thoroughly because it's, it's something that's really important. And Paul is putting so much emphasis here in the, in the text that I think it would be unfair to not give it the time. So the first is the way of the law. And this is legalism. This is, again, trying to earn our way to God. And this is based in pride. It's based in I have what it takes. I have the ability to save myself. That if I work hard enough, I can maintain my relationship with God on my own merit, on my own account. And there's something that diminishes the cross and diminishes what Christ did on the cross when we live that way. The other one, the second, is the way of self. And this is all about license. And license is referring to the idea that we make our own rules, that we are our own judge, our own ruler, and we based our decisions on our own desires. What feels the best, what looks most appealing to us. And Paul's going to go, next week we'll go into that, and Paul goes in quite in depth of what this can look like and how dangerous it is. The third is by the Spirit. We can live by the Spirit. And this is liberty. Liberty, freedom, that we are free, not slaves to sin, not slaves to our self or our 
laws that we create for ourselves, not slaves to legalism, trying to earn our way, but free. And that is only through Jesus as Lord of our lives. The first two are dangerous and lead to death. And the last one is freedom. And it's when we live that accepted into an eternal family, into God's family, adopted, as we've looked at the last few weeks, adopted into God's family, that we can truly live loved and truly live free. So let's get to our text. We run out of time before we get started. So we'll start with just reading verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Hmm. So I want to split this verse into two parts. There's an assertion and a command. So there's kind of a, he's asserting what is, and then he gives us a command based off of that assertion. So the assertion is that we're free, that we are free and we can live free. And it's for freedom we've been set free so that we can live free. That's why, I mean, it's a pretty simple assertion. But we have to understand that before we can get to the command that we were in bondage, that there's a, there was a transition that took place when we start living a life in relationship with Jesus, we're free and we've been set free. It was an action on Christ's account. He performed an action that set us free so that we can live free. We aren't free from sin itself because the world is a fallen world. And in this lifetime, we will always be susceptible to fall into sin, to fall into temptation. I mean, we definitely can all understand that there is definitely a, a temptation in, of sin in our, in our lives. And uh, it's because the world is a fallen place and it's full of problems and it's full of sin. But we're free from the weight of sin. And we'll look at that with his analogy that he gives with the command in a moment. But So we've all sinned and we've all messed up. But the, the real thing that we're, that we're free from is the guilt and the shame because the penalty for that sin has been paid. And if you've ever sinned, if you've ever messed up, you know that it's always accompanied by a guilt. It's always accompanied by a shame. And that is usually that, that point where we can decide, well, now I need to work harder. I need to earn my myself back to where I need to be or we can fall back and remember that we're free because Christ wants us to live free so shame and guilt of sin destroys our spirit it destroys our hearts but we've been accepted into God's family we are loved and adopted by God through the work of Christ and through that work alone. And this is our freedom and the way that we can live free and live loved as we talked about a few weeks ago. So back to the verse, the second half is a command. Stand firm. Stand firm. 
Now, stand firm, it can uh, at, at first glance kind of have this feeling of uh, something that's really difficult. But the goal of standing firm is when we base it off the assertion that he gave is enjoying the freedom we have in Christ. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in the freedom that you have. And enjoy it. Freedom is not something that's a burden. Freedom is something that's enjoyed. Something that relieves us of a burden. It's only when we start getting this idea that we need to earn God's grace, earn God's favor again, earn his love, that we're no longer standing firm, that we're no longer enjoying the freedom we have. It's only in this knowledge that we're made free by God's grace that we have a freedom that we can truly enjoy and live free. And this is the analogy that he's kind of throwing in at the end with this yoke of slavery. And uh, there's a, an image of it also in Leviticus uh, chapter 26, verse 19. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. I really love that analogy. You know, that's, there's a lot of analogy in there that we could go into a lot of depth, but basically this kind of, uh, the Israelites being set free from Egypt was, is always this kind of analogy of our being set free from sin and the weight and the guilt and the shame of sin. And I love this, this word that we can walk with heads held high. I mean, it's the perfect image of the opposite of living in with shame and guilt of sin. That we don't have to walk huddled before God, ashamed of our actions, ashamed of the way that we've messed up, the way that we've lived, the way that we've fallen short of where we think that we are supposed to be. The truth is that we're set free and we can walk with heads held high because of Christ's work and in the image in Leviticus because of what God did, not because of what the Israelites did, but because of what God did. And we can live that as well. So stand firm in the knowledge that you're free and enjoy that freedom. Be free. Walk with your head held high. There's a, I didn't actually put this in my notes, but it just popped in my heart. Is, there's another verse that talks about that we can boldly walk into the throne room of God. There's something that's just really uh, unbelievable. I mean, if you know the throne room of God, that was the Holy of Holies. And in the Old Testament, people just, they tied bells around the priests so that if they stopped hearing the bells, they know that the presence of God had killed them because... God can't live in the same place as sin. And now we can boldly walk in there. That's a huge transformation that we are free from the guilt and the shame that comes with sin. So, verse 2. We'll get, we'll get through this. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all again i declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from christ you have fallen away from grace 
This is Paul's line in the sand. This is him drawing the distinction between these two ways. The point here is you've got to be all in. It's all or nothing. Either you're going to completely live to work towards God's favor, and then you have to obey every law, all of the law, perfectly, or you're all in with Christ and trusting in him as your savior and him alone. So I found there's a lot of interesting laws in the Old Testament and I looked for a while and it it just got too crazy. So I'm just going to give you one interesting one that I felt pretty confident unless somebody here makes their own clothes. Probably everybody here is guilty of that you shall not wear cloth of two materials mixed together. And I'm pretty sure nowadays you can't buy any clothes that aren't two materials mixed together. So if you did that, you have already failed at adhering to all of the law. And that's the point Paul's trying to make. You have to go all in. And it's just not possible. But it's not about the clothes or about circumcision. It's about our belief and our doctrine. It's about believing that you have what it takes to save yourself. By obeying perfectly, you and yourself have what it takes. And this is, again, pride. It's a pride in yourself. And Paul's point is that if you are going to go this way, if you're going to go that route, you have to take it to the extreme. And you have to literally do all the work to save yourself. And then, as it says in the verse, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Because how can he have any value to you as a savior if you're your own savior, if you're trying to do the work yourself? And this is where the line is drawn, (laughs) a separation of these two ways, these two paths we can go down. God's wonderful saving grace, his acceptance, his adoption for us into his family, that he saves us from our sins. Or we try to do it on our own. We try to earn our way. We try to live it out perfectly. And then as the verse says in verse 4, you, are, you who are trying to just be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That's pretty harsh tone that Paul's taking here. But I want to be clear that he's not... He's not pointing it to the end. He's not throwing them out. He's not giving up on them. His point is that they have to be all in. Or they will be alienated from Christ. It's one or the other. It's all law or all Christ. So will we seek to be made right before God by our own actions or by Jesus' action. In order to be saved and to be made right before God, we have to be all in. We're either fully for Jesus and enjoying his freedom or we're on our own. So I encourage you to enjoy that freedom, to walk with your head held high, knowing that Christ's work was enough. It was enough then for the sins you have already committed 
and the sins that you'll commit in the future. Let's get back to verse 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So there's a few key words here. And when we look back at verse 4, we see this, you have fallen away. Again, making a separation. And now in verse 5, we see we eagerly await by faith. Though, So we have this we, and that's referring to us. It's believers. It's those who are accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We eagerly await by faith. So what are we doing? We're waiting through the Spirit by faith. We're awaiting. Instead of working, we're waiting on God. We're, we're putting our faith and our trust in Him and His actions and His work rather than our own. And the thing that we're waiting for is the righteousness for which we hope. The righteousness for which we hope is the finished work of God in our lives. It's the finished work that he promised to finish, that he began in us. And also, there's, I think there's reference to our eternity, our eternity with him. Heaven, it's a thing. It's a real thing. And I like this eagerly awaiting. Are you, we are eagerly awaiting the righteousness, the fulfillment of God's promise in our lives, that we would spend eternity with him, that we were made perfect, made right, made whole. And uh, when it comes to this eagerly awaiting, I, I mean, is this something that, that, it is, that we can express for ourselves? Are we eagerly awaiting this fulfilled promise? I think of, uh, you know, when you order something on Amazon, you know, something you really want, you're really excited about, and the doorbell rings, and you know it's, the, it's that package you got, and you're eagerly awaiting your package. You're eagerly waiting what uh, you ordered to, to come. How much more should we be eagerly awaiting the fulfillment of God's work? Eagerly awaiting the finished race. Verse 7, and, or 7 and 8. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And of course, the one who calls you, he's referring to God, that God's call was put on their lives. And these false teachers were leading them down something that was not true. It was a lie, and it was not something that lined up with what they had first received. So in verse we again see this contrast in verses 1 through 6. We saw between you and we. And here in verse 7 through 12, the contrast between I and referring to Paul and the uh, false teachers, the he or the who. And that they had led the people astray. They were leading them down a false road to, to believe a lie. And in verse 7, Paul starts with this race analogy, which I really like, and apparently he really, really likes. He uses it quite often throughout uh, various texts in the Bible. 
And uh, I want to read a couple to tie in with how we can be living our lives. So 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And 1 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that's towards the end of Paul's life that he ran the race and he kept the faith. He stood firm, enjoying that freedom he has in Christ throughout all things. The Christian living is more than just believing, right? We know that. We know that it's, it's more than that. I'm talking a lot about we're only made right before God by believing in Christ as our Savior. But obviously the Christian life is more than that. There's an action that comes along with it. I mean, uh, we can't just believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again. I mean, uh, even the devil believes that. So there is an action, but Christian living is also more than what we do. It's always rooted back in, first, our faith in Christ by his grace. That we can't earn God's love through our actions. Because as we saw in verse 6, it says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. These works in themselves have no value. So we see this kind of combination of the two. That Christian living is a race. It's faith and belief that God is with us and going to keep with, stay with us and to keep us to the end. He's going to get us to the finish line in our walks with him. We have to keep moving. We have to keep trusting in him step by step. And sometimes we're walking with Christ. Sometimes we're sprinting and running. Sometimes it feels like we're hardly moving at all. And we talked about that last week, that we have these seasons where it feels really dry, that God feels really distant. But he's always there. And we have to keep that faith, keep moving and keep growing. Because what we believe is expressed in how we live. And the way that we live comes from what we believe. They're connected. It's all, so the way that I live my life is an expression of my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of my life. It's not, uh, it's not about I do this and I do this because I need to earn God's love. I know that I'm already made the righteousness of God in Christ. I can walk with my head held high, free from guilt, free from shame, because I know who I am in Christ. I know what he's done, and it, his, his saving me had nothing to do with me. But because of that, because of this great love that he has for me, I live my life out loved by him. And we talked about in the, at the end of last year that you know Jesus talks about rivers of living water will flow from us and that that's from God's love, Christ's work in our hearts that flows into us that allows us to live that out in the day to day. But they're connected. They go together. And this is what we saw in verse six where it says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So exactly this, this image that it's both. It's what, what we believe 
in itself, believing it isn't, isn't enough, and actions aren't enough, they go together. And they're, what we believe is expressed in the way that we live. And, our, and in, in verse 5, it says that it's all through the Spirit. This comes through the Spirit. And it's through the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And this we're going to be getting into a lot more in a couple weeks as we look at uh, the end of chapter 5. So verse 9 and 10, or verse 9 first, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. And here he's just building an analogy of the situation that was going on with the people there. These false teachers had come in with this small idea, this doubt about what Paul had originally taught, and now it was spreading throughout the entire community of the churches in Galatia. So that's his point in verse 9. And in verse 10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have, will have to pay the penalty. Paul's point here is clear at the beginning of this verse. The truth will triumph over the lie. The truth will win out the day. For those of us who are adopted into God's family, meaning that we've accepted him as Lord of our lives, we believe in Jesus. It's just like what we saw last week with Abraham. Even though he messed up, even though he went his own way, God's grace was bigger and his promise was kept. And that's what Paul's saying here. The truth is going to win. I'm confident that you're not going to choose any other view. Even though you're being misled, God's work is, is still happening in you. Now, obviously, Paul's letter is a part of God's work. So we can take that into account as well. And I, would, I just want to share with you guys that, uh, you know, when, we, when it comes to this idea of these different ways, these different uh, paths that we can take, I'm not just talking to you uh, because it's in the text. I'm not just telling you this because I think it's nice or it's a good idea. It's, be, it's something I've experienced in my life. I've experienced this. I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've lived my life where I was really trying to earn my way. I believed in Jesus, but I also believed that I had to live a certain way and then he would love me more. And if I lived the wrong way, he would love me less. And when we live that way, when we make it about our earning God's favor, we're talking about saved by works. We're talking about, like, it's in us. It's in our merit to receive God's grace. And I've lived that. And then I've also tried the other way of living completely for myself <laughs> and just enjoying life and living for the moment and that just turns up empty. It's not fulfilling. And I've tried believing in Christ. I've tried living by the Spirit. Still doing that, by the way, if you were wondering. And it's, it's free. It's freedom. It's freedom that I've never experienced with any other attempt 
any other way, any other path. It's complete freedom. That we are, I can, I can mess up and he still loves me. And I know that I can always run to him and he's always there waiting with open arms. And that is the difference. That's the huge difference between legalism and living by the Spirit. When we live by legalism, when we mess up, we feel like we need to hide from God. As Adam did in the Garden of Eden, he hid from God because he was afraid. But we have Jesus, and we don't have to be afraid. We can walk with our heads held high. We can walk boldly into the throne room. We can live free, and when we sin, it, will, it should lead us to run to him like a child caught in a lie, weeping and asking for forgiveness. That's what this freedom is about. And that's the difference between legalism and freedom and walking by the Spirit, that we don't have to hide or run from God. We can run to him. And he's always there waiting with open arms, because the sin that we, we committed, the, the mistake we made was already covered on the cross before we even made it. And accepting that and living that out is freedom in Christ. His love is always there. It's unbroken. His grace is unchanged. And his promises are always true. He will finish the work. I mean, the Bible says that we are new creatures in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ. Free creatures. Verse 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And just really quick, the false teachers, again, had spoken on Paul's behalf a bit, kind of saying, hey, no, this is, Paul had, was mostly right, but this is the rest of the truth. And uh, kind of, and bringing in circumcision as a requirement, bringing in the law as a requirement to be saved. And uh, Paul's basically saying, hey, if I was preaching that, then why am I still being persecuted for not preaching that? Because the Jewish leaders at the time were trying to get him to shut up about uh, being saved only by grace, only through Jesus Christ, because uh, it went against everything that they stood for. So that's his point. If I'm, if I'm doing that, if I'm preaching what uh, these guys say I'm preaching, then why am I still being persecuted? So verse 12, and here's where Paul really lets his aggression out. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's a bit harsh. That is definitely a bit harsh. And in verse 10 and in verse 12, we see that Paul is not light when it comes to false teachers. He is not, it's not something that he uh, pushes off to the side. And uh, even though it's a bit harsh to say that they should emasculate themselves, castrate themselves, so... And uh, there is some sort of kind of connection that uh, the, uh, p- like the pagan gods that they had served, the uh, Galatians had served before, 
there would have been eunuchs in the temples. And so uh, he's kind of saying, hey, if you're going to live legalistically like you used to, then go ahead and go all the way and just become a eunuch. But I think there is a bit of frustration. And just to show the seriousness of false teaching. And Jesus also took this very seriously. And in Luke 17, 2, it says, It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, we talked about this already a few weeks ago, but because it's in the text, it's definitely worth noting that uh, false teaching is something that is taken very seriously by Paul and very seriously by Jesus himself, and that we should be looking out for false teachers. They're still out there. It's not something of the past, and we need to be alert and be vigilant in what we allow ourselves to take in when we're hearing. And uh, also, yeah, don't be a false teacher. That's just kind of a given here in the text. Don't be a false teacher. It uh, will not go well with you, and you will not be in Jesus' grace if you're going to be teaching a false truth. So, but in closing, I want to talk about a phrase that we saw and uh, one I find most important, and that's this offense of the cross. What is the offense of the cross? What does that mean? Why would he use the word offense? What's offensive about it? And with this, I just want to end by talking about, again, the offense of the cross is this. That all people, all men, all women are rebels, we're sinners, and that we're under God's wrath and God's judgment. And that sin leads only to death and that we all stand condemned before God. And there's nothing that we can do to change that. There's nothing that we in ourselves can do to change the position that we're in, which is a helpless one. So this is the offense of the cross. That you and I are without hope. That it's only through Jesus, by his grace for us, and through our faith in him, and making him Lord of our lives, that we are truly saved. He is our hope and our only hope. And this is a scandalous thing to believe. This is a scandalous thing to preach. It's offensive to believe this because it goes against our human nature. Our human nature is prideful that we want to believe that we have what it takes. It's uncomfortable to be helpless, to need a savior. I mean, I always think of the image of drowning, that when you're drowning, it's not, uh, it's not something that we want to look to. It's not something we want to, a situation we want to find ourselves in, but we were drowning and we needed a savior and Christ comes and rescues us and once he rescues us we're rescued for good fully completely and his work in us will be seen to completion if we're living this living by the spirit because of the work that he performed in us and there's a a cool quote I found by Tim Keller he's a, a pastor a theologian in the states and he says Sin grows when we think we deserve something from God. But godliness grows when we remember that we are debtors to God. And that's the application of how this is lived out in our lives, that we are debtors to him. We were helpless under judgment. 
and then rescued, saved, set free. So this is something to celebrate. So let's take some time. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to worship together and thank him for saving us and for his grace in our lives.